Him that is weak in faith receive ye, but not to the doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, ye shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Every, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no one dieth to himself. For whether he live, we live unto the Lord. And wherever, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both to the dead and the living. But thou dost not thou judge by thy brother, or, dost, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For, he shall all, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, that As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walketh thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat, for him Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is the evil for that man who eateth with offenses. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin." Well, good morning. Welcome to Romans chapter 14. So uh, we've turned the page and entered a new chapter. And uh, 
in preparation for the message today, would you join me in a word of prayer, please? Heavenly Father, Lord, we bow before you now as we prepare to worship you uh, through your word. And Father, we um, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who for a time such as this, and for this end, he both died and he rose and revived, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So Father, we bow before you thankful that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, uh, we implore you as we look into your word, um, we need you. We need your um, guidance, your direction. We need the Holy Spirit that indwells. Uh, Father, to take your word and allow us to worship you uh, this morning. So Father, as we look into your word this morning, will you grant understanding? And you'd grant us the opportunity um, to see your word as you desire us to. Father, may your truth be magnified as your words brought forth this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think you've probably often heard it said that the numbers in front of the chapters are not necessarily inspired. So it's not like we've hit chapter 14 and we're in a whole different realm and a whole different uh, direction. Paul is continuing his writing here. Is this one going to be good? Do I need to reposition? or You got it? Okay, I'll keep going then. All right, my sound guys gave me the thumbs up. Um, you know, as we look at the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, 1 through 11, Paul had laid out doctrine, right? Good, firm, sound teaching and revelation of the truth. But doctrine itself is not profitable, right? We need to be able to take that doctrine. We need to be able to apply it. We need to apply it rightly to the situations that arise in the life, right? That's what God's truth helps us do. And that's where Paul begins in chapter 12, if you'll remember, challenging us to take what we've learned, that doctrine, and to transform our minds with it. To no longer think in the ways and the patterns and the matters that we used to think before, but begin to think and pattern our thoughts and actions and our lives to the Word of God. And he gives us that challenge in 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that by the mercies of God you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's an overarching theme as we enter into this portion of the letter. And we've gone through several chapters. And really, I'm going to pick up where Steve left off in chapter 13, because it flows right again into where we are here in chapter 14. And we were told last week to wake up, right? To be believers who are awake and aware of the times in which we live and what's going on in and around us, culminating with the call of 13:14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts, thereof. As we transition now, let's remember that call to, as believers, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because chapter 14, Paul is addressing an issue. There's something going on in the church of Rome that he is writing to to bring correction and instruction. And he's asking them to renew their minds and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's making a very practical, tangible way to do that. So what is the issue? The issue is how believers relate to each other. As we turn here in 14, and actually this, this theme, uh, Paul's going to continue on to chapter 15. So we're going to get kind of a, 
uh, the first installment of this this morning as we go down to chapter 9. And we'll have continued teaching on this as we work through 14 and 15. What Paul is aware of is there's an issue in the church of how these believers are relating to themselves and to each other within the body of the church at the Church of Rome. And this isn't a surprise, or should not necessarily be a surprise to us, because as we think about what constituted the Church of Rome, they were probably about as diverse a group of believers as you might ever want to come across. There were pagans, right? Recently saved pagans in the Church of Rome. And they were probably of all shapes, sizes, and nationalities. Again, Rome being the central government of that time, we had people from all lands concentrated in Rome that were beginning to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And probably on the extreme opposite of that group, there were austere, observant Jews living in Rome as well. So, pretty wide variety of people being brought into this church in Rome. But not only that, we had servants worshiping with their masters, completely unheard of of the culture at that time. Obviously, there were new believers and those more established in the faith that were being melded in and brought together into this church. Those from Rome would be coming from a mindset that the state was preeminent. Those coming from a more Greek background would be more predisposed to the individual and knowledge being preeminent. And then the Jews would be very holden to what the traditions of men might say, right? Because we've gotten a picture now this time that Judaism had become very much a man-centered religion that Christ spoke against when he was here. So we've got all this carrying in and coming into this church in Rome, right? But let's remember, they were all under one Lord, one gospel, one unified doctrine. Right? They were unified in the faith. He's speaking only to believers here. So they were unified in gospel and doctrine, but they have divergent backgrounds that were leading to the issue, different practices in the church. People were preferring to do different things. And he's going to give us two cases of this as we go down into the text. So Paul seems very aware here they were not handling these differences well. And he wants to promote the Christian charity of 1314. He wants to encourage them. Right? He's coming right off of, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. To say, now him that is weak in the faith. Right? So these two bridge over. So he's taking this admonition to conduct oneself as the Lord would with charity and carrying it over into this situation. You know, it was very important to address this. Because we think of our time now, the unbelieving world wants one of the things they point to. Look at all the division in the church. Right? You Christians all fuss and fight and argue with each other. Why would I be part of that? It's a valid question that unbelievers would ask of us, right? If we're unified under Christ, if we're under one gospel and one doctrine, let's be careful about the things we let divide us. And that's what Paul's going to speak about here. And you know, as we look around, as we think about Hope in Christ Church, there's a wide variety represented here, right? Many different backgrounds and traditions, maybe denominations that folks have come from, um, maybe those from more of an unchurched background. We've got older, younger, you're all in here together. Right? This diversity exists in the body. Maybe not to the extent and maybe the, the sharp contrast that maybe you saw in the Roman church. Right? We've all come from different places. We all might have different things that the Lord's led us to hold to as practices. But we still desire to come together under one gospel and doctrine in unity. 
So the reality is that there's going to be different practices with any church. So the question is, how do we properly handle them? It's not a question of if there's going to be diversity within our body. The question is, how do we handle diversity within our body? You know, it begs the question, does a body need to conform to the letter in all areas to be a healthy, fruitful church? And I think as we look now, turn our attention to Romans 14, verses 1 through 9, Paul makes the case that Christians can peaceably differ by focusing on praising their sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ. Christians can peaceably differ by focusing on pleasing their sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ. So that's going to be the overarching theme for the message today that I think Paul is trying to deliver to us through Romans 14. We break into three sections. Verses 1 through 3, we're going to see instruction on how to properly handle these differences in the body. Okay? Going to be very practical. Paul's coming in as the physician and suggesting a remedy to the situation. Second section, verses 4 through 6, we're going to see what our proper attitude and motive might be for having different practices. Where do they come from? Why might they be different? And then finally, in verses 6 through 9, and probably the most important points will be made there, so hang on, um, it's the importance of a proper perspective on who Christ is. That's going to frame our thinking. So as we go through, I'd like to keep two contrasting scriptures and mindsets as we, as we walk through. The first is the one we've, I've quoted several times in Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The contrary to that would be found in James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your member? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask not and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. I think we see a pretty sharp contrast in what's important in those two views. One puts the Lord Jesus Christ first, the other puts self first. And that's going to be very important to keep in mind as we walk through. So looking in verses 1 through 4. Three, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Okay, so the first thing we are confronted with here is this word weak, right? Strong versus weak. We're going to see that played out several times throughout the next several verses. The first thing I want to do from our American mindset is weak equals lesser value, equals useless, right? Less preferred. I don't want anything that's weak. I want something, I want a good strong truck, right? To pull my, to pull my load or whatever I'm looking to do. Well, not so in God's economy, we're going to see here. He's using a different thought with weak. This is actually the same root word that's used to describe the wife as the weaker vessel later in Paul's writing. And men, I think you'd all agree with me, our wife is not of lesser value or lesser worth to our Lord. Different function, different service, different strength, but no, in no way being of lesser value. So let's carry that understanding into this text. When he's speaking of this weak brother, this is not a brother of lesser value. And that's really where he goes exactly as we go further down. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. What was happening here is new believers were coming in, and some of these... he's going to call stronger or more long-standing believers were kind of 
picking bones of contentions and arguing with them. You know, the weaker brother is newer in the faith, and many of them possess a more tender conscience. Right? They're just coming out of paganism, maybe coming out of Judaism, where uh, you were going to see eating of meats and keeping of days was very important. And they still have a tender conscience towards some of those past practices that they might be bringing in with them. And so the command here for the body is to receive this one, to welcome, right? Not belittle, to receive, to welcome this one in. It's not to argue, and I also put before you, it's not to ignore. Right? Sometimes it's very easy just to ignore somebody, right? They don't quite see things the way I do, so I'm just not going to sit with them this next Sunday at lunch or something along those lines. Right? That's not receiving. There's an active receiving and a welcoming of this person into the body. Now, as we head into the next verses, he's going to use the examples of meat, and he's going to use the example of days. Okay? Now, these might not be issues uh, facing us as strongly in the church these days, but what I want you to do here is not get caught on meat and not get caught on days. Let's see the underlying teaching that applies to issues where brothers could hold different practices in an area. They might look different in the church today. But see, verse 2 says, For one believeth he might eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs. The first important thing to notice here is the keeping of days and the eating of meat, and especially this occasion, the eating of meat, is done out of weakness. Okay? It's done out of weakness. So this brother does not have a full understanding maybe yet that where, let's say he's a Jew coming in, where he had dietary laws before, things to eat and things not to eat, that now all things are allowable to him. He might, his conscience might not be comfortable with that yet as a recent newer convert to Jesus Christ. But he's holding that out of a weakness. Because what we don't want to do is excuse sin, right? And that's one thing as we, as we go through this. This is differences in practices, okay? Because what Paul does is he very strongly takes the Galatian church to task. In Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, about an issue of keeping days. And what he tells them is, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Whose eyes, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth and crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the spirit of the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, you are now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If yet it be in vain. And what he's speaking of here is they had added keeping of days and works back into the gospel. So they knew better. Right? They knew that keeping of the days was not required, but the church at Galatia was talking and teaching now that all those holy days of the Jews and all those special days were imposed back on to believers. Now Paul is going to speak, obviously, some very strong words. He calls them foolish, right? He calls them very directly to task with that. So clear biblical error, disobedience and sin, still needs to be dealt with firmly and lovingly within the body. And we see Paul do that when the keeping of days was out of a sinful or a willful manner. But as we come back into chapter 14, where the keeping of days is going to be kept out of a weakness, there's a very different approach that's to be taken here. 
moving on down into verse 3, gives us insight into that. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God has received him. From this verse, we do see the principle there are going to be different practices within the church. Do you notice Paul does not speak to the practice? He's not going to speak about whether to eat meat or whether not to eat meat. Yet, he does in a little ways on as we go through the verse and get later into verse 14. But right now, what he wants to focus on is not the practice of eating meats. He wants to focus on how is the church going to handle the difference between brothers where one will and one will not. Right? So he's not laying out here, I'm going to make everybody conform to one position. This is a matter of conscience. And Paul is not going to step on the conscience of the weaker brother in this situation. And we see here that this is both believers because at the end of verse 3 it says God has received him. Right? These are ones that God has received. These are two believers dealing with each other that are going to have two different practices for a period of time here in this church at Rome. So, what is each to do? And this is the important part of this first section. Given we're going to have some differences, what is each to do? Number one, he speaks to the stronger and he says, you're not to belittle or look down on a brother for having a more tender conscience. Right? There's not to be a scorn or a or can you believe that he's like that? Right? There's to be a spirit of charity and love and kind instruction. Now the weaker brother also has a warning here, right? The one that is choosing maybe a more stringent practice. And he is warned not to be judgmental, not to pass judgment and look at that other brother and say, well, he's backslidden, gone the way of the world. Right? in an extreme case. So each has a responsibility within the body to maintain that bond of love and charity that Paul desires to see in the body. Now the verse here does not say that we cannot have or cannot talk about these differences. Right? It's how we choose to do that. Do we do it in a spirit of love and understanding, allowing the Lord to ultimately be the Lord? So there is a proper way to handle differences and practices within the church. When we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, this becomes easier to do, does it not? Right? Don't we need to be walking in the Spirit to have discernment and understanding when we speak to each other maybe about these differences? So by deduction, there's also an improper way to handle differences in the body. Right there in verse 1. Doubtful disputations. Right? They handle nothing, they... They advance nothing, and all they do is stir up strife. Whence do come wars and fightings from you, among you? So as we look, and as you have opportunity to think about where you might have differed with a brother or a sister in a matter of practice, my challenge, challenge to me from the text, and my challenge back to all of you from the text is, which route do you pursue? Pursue? Do you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you take the route of the flesh in wars and fightings among you? Verses 4 through 6 give us some guidance and some understanding is what is the guiding principles for participation or abstinence for some practices? Key 
a key aspect of being able to peacefully differ within a body and practices is that each believer has to have a proper attitude and reason for his particular practice. Right? So each believer, now we're going to look at individual responsibilities. So when you settle on a practice, right, this is the guidelines. Right? And if the Lord leads you to hold that practice following these three guidelines, then we can peaceably um, exist with different practices under those situations. So starting in verse 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Okay, verse 4 begins to direct our attention to where it ought to be at all times. Who is the master here? Right? Who is in control? Who is, who is each individual re believer responsible to? And it clearly says here, each believer should be focused on pleasing his proper master. And God is the appropriate judge, and the one will direct each servant in what is best. Right? This would be, wouldn't be an odd situation. Maybe you, you, we don't have servants these days, but you know, the analogy was made if one's dining at another's house and the servant spills soup or something along those lines, does the guest chide the servant? No, that's for the master. Right? The master is in control of the servant. And much is the same situation here. As believers, we are each servants to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, we need to allow him to be at work in our lives and each of their lives. God will be faithful to his servants. He will guide them. He will teach them. And he will lead them. And we see here at the end of verse 4, he will cause them to stand. So as we come against maybe an issue or something we're looking and we're questioning about, we come before the Lord for instruction and we ask him to help us stand. And then we stand where he directs us to. And there's a danger here because if another takes the place in the life of one of the servants, we will grossly overstep our bounds. Right? We aren't servants to each other. We're each servants to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we are brothers and sisters and we have a role to fulfill to each other, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to speak truth to one another. Right? Those things are all there, but ultimately that other person stands before the Lord in what they choose. We don't make the choice for them. We can't compel them into the choice. But we are here as brothers and sisters in the Lord to encourage one another and to speak truth to one another. Paul is now going to use the keeping of days as a second example and is going to use it as a teaching point. He's going to teach what a believer's basis for conduct should be based on. So when we're faced with a questionable matter and what we personally are going to hold to, these are the guidelines that Paul gives us. Look in verse 5. One man esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Okay, so there's the issue, right? Again, likely the Jews were coming in and said, well, we need to keep this feast and this tabernacle and this and this, and this, and this, and this. And the Roman believers are saying, nope, we're, we're free from all that. You know, so there, hence there is the main conflict. And here's the key. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Okay, so the first step in making a decision where there could be some doubt in a practice is to be fully persuaded in one's own mind. Now, doesn't this sound a little familiar from where we started in verse 12? 
Our minds need to be transformed first, right? We don't want to reason in our own human thinking. We'll be back to that fulfilling the desires of the flesh that we don't want to do. But the key here is we need to have that renewed, transformed mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that mind, God gives us personal responsibility to study and settle matters. Remember, this section started with a call to a transformed mind. We're also called to love God with all our mind. Right? When Jesus distilled down the greatest commandment, love your Lord God, several things were listed there, but was not mind one of them. So there's a clear call here that we need, we are responsible to biblically study out what we're going to believe and what we're going to hold to. We, we don't inherit our faith. Right? Our faith is found as we open the pages of the Word and we ask God through the Spirit to illuminate it for us that we might walk in the truth. So our thinking has to start from here in any matter that we want to consider. And Paul directs them to that. He said, you're having all this conflict. He says, go to the Word. Go to the Word. With a, transform your mind. Get the truth in your mind before you go any further. So step one. Be people of the truth. Step two, second item in verse six. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. Now I emphasized four times a string of words there, to the Lord, to the Lord. So as we come about a practice and something we're deciding to do, can it be done in service to the Lord? Right? Four times it's mentioned here. The one that chooses not to, chooses not to, to the Lord. The one that chooses to, chooses to do that to the Lord. Right? So ultimately, what's the goal of both? To be focused on and pleasing the Lord. Now, can't we have better harmony? Right? That comes back to, again, putting on Jesus Christ and having the mind to obey the Father instead of our own desires. So everything we do as a believer should be motivated by pleasing our loving Lord and Master. And by extension, we see here, everything we choose not to do should also be for his glory. It's not to earn his favor. Right? We don't, we're not called to, oh, I'm going to give that up as penitence or something and, you know... We're not called to that kind of sacrifice, to try to earn God's favor by what we do or what we don't do. What he wants is our hearts tuned to please him. That's what he's looking at, and he's the only one, right, that will ultimately know what's in our hearts and why we choose or not choose. Okay, so number one, we come with a transformed mind. Number two, we seek to please the Lord. And then there's kind of a check in here. Reading 6 again. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. He that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. This is a way to have a quick review. Right? Have I made the right decision in terms of this matter or what I'm going to do or not to do here? Ask yourself the question, can I do this with thanksgiving? Can I either participate in the activity with a thankful heart or can I refrain from the activity with a heart of thanks and joy towards the Lord? 
So it's a good place to check. You know, does what you choose or not do cultivate a thankfulness to the Lord? We want to be thankful in all the things we do. And if it's causing you consternation, you might want to go back to step one. Right? Go back to the word again. Go back to the word of truth. Make sure you're working out of that renewed mind. Again, Lord, how can I please you here? And he will give you that thankful heart, that freedom of knowing you're doing what's pleasing to the Lord. There'll be great joy in that. There'll be great joy in that for you. So there are proper motives for choosing personal practices. And only God can accurately judge the inner heart motives. And we as fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot and should not do that for another. So as we conclude this section, do you search the scriptures and become fully persuaded through the word and the spirit? Is that your pattern? Is that your habit to seek the scriptures? To have your mind renewed? As you go about your day and you make choices, who are you seeking to please and to serve with each choice? Who are you looking to please and to serve? I'm thinking about the past week or in general. Are you thankful to the Lord? Are you really thankful for who he is and what he's done and for his desire to guide and direct your life? Are you truly thankful to God? Well, as we look now at verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9, we really get a strong doctrinal teaching here from Paul. Uh, this applies directly to the situation here, but I would say this applies to uh, life in general. There's a very foundational piece of doctrine that he's going to bring to us here in verses 7 through 9. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and of the living. These verses really get to the heart of the matter. They really get to the heart of the Christian life. It gives the reason and motivation why we should focus on pleasing the Lord. Right? It's the why to the previous section. Why are we concerned about pleasing the Lord? For putting on Christ and not walking in the flesh. So looking in verse 7 through 10 again. Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. For none of us lives to himself, and no man dies to himself. From birth to death, our life is not our own. Especially those of us who God in his grace and mercy has reached out and provided Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. Please turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Same author, same spirit, maybe emphasizes this point a little more fully for us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. What? Again, speaking to believers here. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, 
which ye have of God, ye are not your own. For we are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. So who owns us? From life to death. Body and spirit. God owns us. We're to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ, who presented himself a sacrifice for our sins and bought us for a price. You know, that word redemption that we heard early in Romans, you know, redemption, it means to buy out of the slave market. So we were slaves to sin, and Christ came and purchased us 100%, lock, stock, and barrel, and pulled us out of where we were and set us free. He paid that price with his life. It wasn't just a few coins. It was his life. Wouldn't our only right response be to really desire to live our lives, to glorify one that loved us that much, that cares that much? He purchased the right to my life in position of Lord with his sacrifice for each believer. And greater yet, as we look back in verse 9 of chapter 14, I love the first words here. They really came alive to me late in the study. For to this end, Christ. For to this end. It was all part of God's plan. It was all God's purpose. It was all his desire. It was all his grace and his mercy shed upon us. Right? To this end. It wasn't a random happenstance that Christ showed up, lived a perfect life, and was a sacrifice. It's not a happenstance that God is offering salvation to you. It's part of his plan. It's part of his purpose. It's part of his direction. And also, with that plan and purpose, it is his plan, purpose, and desire that we live to please Him and Him alone. That our eyes turn there and that our focus be there in all we think and all we say and all we do. Now, God doesn't do it because He wants to be some kind of tyrant. Right? He bought us with love. And He bought us so He can continue to fill us with His love and express that love to us. And our right response is to turn to Him, turn to His Word, for instruction. Lord, show me your truth. Show me how I can live to please you. And then, Lord, help me to do that. Help me to be pleasing to you. So Paul's giving a big picture here, right? Our Christian faithfulness and obedience is not measured by the food we eat. It is not measured, he's telling them, by the days that they choose to keep or not keep. It is measured by the extent that our lives are open before the Lord and lived out in obedience to Him. Christ's sacrificial life and death for you give Him the position of Lord of your life. And we each need to submit to that Lordship continually. So in the end, our faith is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a servant relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and setting aside our desires in the flesh in any fear of man or other things that might intrude and to serve him alone.
And that's what Paul is calling the Roman church here to. So don't be fussing. Don't be fighting about what you're going to eat. <laughs> right? What day you're going to keep or what day you're not going to keep. That's not right. That's fulfilling the lust of the flesh. He said, what I do want you to do is each first, each believer, to be looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as my starting point and be seeking to please him and then as brothers and sisters encouraging each other to that end, helping each other right, to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord's Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's an individual servant relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, an important question. You know I like to ask questions. This is the important one of the morning. Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? It only comes one way. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Do you firmly believe and understand that Christ lived, died, rose, and was revived so that he might be the loving Lord of your life? Do you understand that he alone paid the price for your sins? And there's nothing you can do or anyone else can do for you, but Christ has done it completely. Do you accept that and then see how, given that, he must have the position of Lord and Savior in your life? It's the only logical conclusion from there. If you're unclear on that, if you're uncertain on that, I encourage you today, don't be uncertain any longer. Don't be uncertain any longer. Seek out someone here who will open this word and make that just clear to you. Could be your parent. Could be one of the men, one of the ladies here at the church. But please, don't leave here with a question mark standing of do I have that relationship where Jesus Christ has bought me and he's my Lord and my Savior. For those of us who could answer that question, yes. I've experienced the beginning of that type of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. My question to you is, so who are you living for? Who are you living your life for? Back to those early contrasting verses. Are you living it, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ in loving service and obedience to him? Or are you living it for yourself, for your own fleshly desires? Or are you living it to try to please another? There's only one we should be looking to please. And that is the Lord, Jesus Christ. So coming back around, wrapping up these first nine verses. Paul teaches here that Christians can peacefully differ when our focus is on pleasing our sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ. I think the best way to review it is to walk through it backwards. Because it really begins with where we just ended. 
This begins from a transformed mind that accepts and surrenders to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, realizing this life I live is not my own and is to be lived for Jesus Christ. It begins with a believer instructed by the indwelling Holy Spirit in God's Word. A believer that is awake and has put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first step is individual believers firmly committed to pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. Then second, a believer with that mind and that attitude can then begin to make wise choices. He can be fully persuaded that what he's doing is pleasing to God and he can do it with joy. So now that believer is holding a right practice according to his conscience before the Lord and how his Lord and Master is going to direct him and guide him. So that leaves us to where we began because out of that right attitude of pleasing Christ and not self or others, that believer and a body of believers that are thinking that way will be able to hold different practices in matters of conscience with respect, with love, and without contention and doubtful disputations. Paul has clearly taught here this morning that in the church, Christians can peaceably differ by focusing on pleasing their sovereign Lord. Will you commit to his call? Pray together. Heavenly Father, as we close again, I want to thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for your grand purpose, for to this end that Christ both died and rose and revived, Father, that he might be our Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Father, we can trust Jesus with our lives, we can trust Jesus with our death because he has promised us also eternal life. Father, it's only by accepting this sacrifice, your gracious sacrifice, Father, that our understanding can even be illuminated. Father, that we need the indwelling spirit to help us take your word and to understand it and have it to speak the truth and the life and the light into our lives that you desire it to have. So, Father, I pray now for the believers that are gathered here, Father, that your spirit would have been at work this morning. And as your truth was opened and as your word was spoken, Father, that your spirit would have been at work in and amongst all of us, Father, and that you will take your word now as we've worshipped you in it. And, Father, that you would make it life and light and truth for us. And, Father, that we might be believers a body that is surrendered in all things to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we can only ask this in his name as our high priest. We thank you in his name. Amen.